Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Uh, okay. Uh, welcome, welcome to the Building Science to the Building Science Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Greetings, Building Science enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. Mark your calendars now, and don't miss the 2019 ATX Building Performance Conference on May 17th in Austin, Texas. The Humid Climate Conference and friends will be putting on a day-long meeting of the minds to discuss everything from air barriers to the best brisket in Texas, with speakers like Dr. Joe Stebrick of the Building Science Corporation and Dwayne Dahlman, FAIA of the City of Seattle. This will be a heavy-hitting day, and the event will also feature an assembly mock-up rodeo. So get yourself over to humidclimateconference.org now to register. Yeehaw! The Sand and Sanco 2 Gen 3 system is a split-type heat pump water heater system that improves upon the existing high levels of performance and efficiency of the Gen 2 Sanco 2 system. The Gen 3 outdoor heat pump unit uses an R744 CO2 refrigerant to water heat exchanger, but can now produce hot water between 130 degrees and 176 degrees Fahrenheit via the unit control panel. This hot water can then be stored in one of three capacities, 43, 83, and 119 gallons separate storage tanks. The hot water is then delivered via an included mixing valve to supply domestic hot water to the building. The Gen 3 system has a coefficient of performance of 5.2 and can produce 160 degree Fahrenheit hot water in ambient temperatures down below negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit. The heat pump can now be installed at a distance of up to 50 feet from the storage tank, including 16 feet of vertical separation between them. That's a big deal. Installation is simple, with no refrigerant piping and all water piping connections being a threaded type. This unit has an extremely low noise level of 37 dBA, and a video detailing the installation process is available. The systems are listed with Energy Star and is NEEA Tier 3 approved. It's hot water, naturally. To learn more about sand and water heaters, please visit www.sandandwaterheater.com. Now enjoy the rest of the episode. Okay. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christopher Irwin here, as always, with my sidekick, Miguel. Here I am with profound thoughts. <laughs> I'm also here today with David Escobedo with the Escobedo Group. Um, today we're going to be talking about industry transformation and uh, we're going to be using David's story to help with industry transformation. I think, as all of us know, there's really no such thing as an industry. There's us. There's us working together. There's no such thing as an industry perspective or an industry culture. There's our perspective. There's, there's the way we do things. and. Uh, when it really comes right down to it, it is about doing things. Um, we can have all the profound thoughts, like Miguel, <laughs> in the world, but ultimately what matters is what we do, the actions we take. And so I'm sitting with a man who's a, a good friend and a colleague, and we've been working together for a while, and his story is one that I, I really think is going to be interesting for you guys. So David, please introduce yourself. Yes, my name is David Escobedo, the founder and owner of Escobedo Construction, who is now uh, tagged as the Escobedo Group because we do a lot of different things. We do 95% of the work ourselves. Wow. So I've been in business for 35 years. 35 years. So And second generation, by the way. There you go. Yeah, so thinking about that. So second generation, was it your father? My father started it. Started. So the, the industry that he worked in and its culture and its practices They've changed a lot, right? So you've seen a lot of change during your career. Yeah, a quick story there. When my father got out of World War II, uh, with he and his buddies, he uh, was from Corpus Christi, went back and realized that there was a housing shortage. Hmm. So they started saying, hey, let's start building houses. And none of them really, that was their trade. Of course, they were 18 years old when they went into the military, so they really didn't have a chance to create a trade before that. Right. Most of them were right out of high school. 
So he started with his uncles building houses, and the term general contractor, which I like talking about this, was the true term then. So they were general contractors. They did everything themselves. Wow. Uh, so the plumbing. Everything the themselves. And that was a true general contractor. So <clears throat> they did well with that, and back then it was a handshake. It was, uh, it was give me the title to your land, and I'll build your thousand square foot home if even that and when I finish in in a month I'll give you your title and you give me money right or you give me money you give me money title. first yeah <laughs> and so that's kind of how we started and then he moved that to Houston and I've been involved in that in the business all my life the 35 years is when I I went on my own and started doing it myself so uh, oh. technically I've been in the business you know all my life, um, um, uh, uh, which is double that, uh, of what I said, <laughs> almost. Anyway, so that's uh, that's kind so of. You the worked in your father's company. Yes, so that's kind of the story uh, of how, and I kept doing it. So I've done this all my life. Interesting. I actually haven't heard this part of the story. So, when you worked with your father, did you get special privileges because you were the owner's son? Did you yeah. start in the trenches? How did that? No, I started in the, uh, the the trenches, but I was just always really interested in it. So my dad saw that in me, and I'm the youngest of four. Mm. And uh, maybe the special privilege that I was the youngest of four, so I was treated a little bit different. But I was always with him. I was always, uh, whether we were at the job site or working in a shop at the home, I was always interested in, in what he was doing. So it became a passion and at that time I didn't even know it was a passion I just thought it was cool yeah you guys are doing homes in Houston yeah you're doing homes in Houston but my dad did everything again they they cut the trees down they set the forms they tied the steel they poured the concrete they framed it they did the electrical plumbing on and on and on until the house was finished wow. built the cabinets roofed it so I got to see all of that granted at that point I was too young to really help but I was out there playing in the sand pile you know but I was always out there with him so I guess the biggest privilege was he we stopped at the store to buy ice for the water jug and I got to buy all the junk that I wanted and he would pay for it <laughs> I got a, well, and on the way home we would stop and I would get the same treat again so maybe that was my privilege there you go mm -hmm. and then so you, you went out on your own what, did his business carry on and you started a new one or no by that time dad was retiring and uh, we moved from Houston to Austin in 83 okay my wife and I and two children at the time and our third child was born in Austin so in 83 is really when I really started that journey. And homes here in Austin. And homes in Austin. Mm -hmm. So you were a true general in, at that point as well, or you were hiring in? Or? Well, let's back up a little bit. So yeah. technically, I came to Austin as, and I subbed contract work. So I was starting to sub concrete, and I knew that, and then I would also bid to frame it. And that was a very strange concept, because no one was doing both. Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit no, I don't want to do that. I want my concrete guy to do it, and then I want my framer to do it. And, to, and, and the, the, one of the major problems that we have is a concrete contractor is doing the concrete off of, an inch, off of a structural plan, and then the framer is framing it off of an architectural plan, and 95% of the time, those two, two do not coincide <laughs> with each other. So hence, you get start to frame it, and you have issues because the concrete's not poured according to the framing. So once builders started to realize that I could put the two together, I, I became pretty popular. Yeah. So that's kind of like the start of my journey to say, okay, let's just do more myself. Mm -hmm. That's a very simple uh, story, but it really is a very potent change to the industry right there because the buzzwords are integrated project delivery, right? right. You're, you're not just doing a baton pass from subcontractor to subcontractor. You're integrating the understanding. Well, yeah, it was, so with that, you, you you start to relieve liability of the general contractor because now he's pointing in he's not he's not pointing the finger at the concrete guy because when the framer gets there it's not right well now I put two things on me right. I, I poured the concrete now I have to frame it so okay it's wrong then you did it wrong mm -hmm. you understand it's so the liability the liability starts to go and then the contractor starts to go hey this is pretty cool yeah yeah so then I started doing the stonework. 
And then, okay, and they say, wow, this is even better. You know, I got even three fingers I can point at at David. <laughs> Little did they know. Little did they know. So, so, so that's where the whole process started with if I could just, you know, I, I, the, I, the diversity. Yeah. But people say, well, why did you do that? And really, it was it was out of uh, necessity. You know? How in the house? I uh, would lose money framing on someone else's concrete work. Mm-hmm. Because it was out of level and I'm shimming and of course no one wants to hear that just do it So I started to say, you know, I, I lost, you know, 500 man hours just just because of this concrete is so poorly done Okay, so then I started doing the concrete myself. So again pointing the finger at me yeah. But when as I tell most of my people when we That work for Escobedo group when you point the finger at someone because it's not right 95% of the time you're pointing it at ourselves because we've done it <laughs> right so you you don't have you can't blame someone else so I so it was liability on my part because I was taking more liability but then I was actually starting to realize God look at the end result I was able to do the stonework let's move to that or frame it so much quicker because my concrete was right yeah and okay then I'm doing the stonework and I left the right lug and I stopped at the door at the right place and all of that so now I'm not having to do all this so efficiency started to to I started to see the efficiency in us doing more and more yeah so it was a natural progression actually what it is is it was your worldview in some sense like all these things fit together to make one thing a home and it's artificial to take it apart into individual segments but um, did those general contractors know that you were growing into a general contractor? It seems like well, it's a, that's, a, that's a good observation because by about 90, I was even being asked by the contractors I was working for, David, why don't you do this on your own? You're doing it anyway. And if not them, the homeowner. Yeah. And if not them, definitely the architect. Yeah. And at that time, I did not want to take on the whole thing. I was... There was maybe 12, me and 11 other people, and I was doing the estimating, the accounting, the payroll, everything myself. So I couldn't take more on at that time. Yeah. So that was kind of the reason. And then in 93 is when I was asked by uh, an individual, would I consider building his home? And uh, I said, well, why me? And he says, because your reputation precedes you. So I didn't let him know at the time, but I had to think about, well, hopefully that's good because I didn't, you know, procedure. I thought, well, did I, you know, somebody's following me or what? So <laughs> it, he, it was a good thing. So I said one client was your big start or your start? Yeah, I worked as in the general contracting world and mm -hmm. he knew we had the talent to do what he wanted us to do. And it was a very large project. And, uh, and then that, you know, so rule also. So we fit in even better. So now the, the story continues. Now we're out an hour away from Austin on a, on a, a major piece of property, a ranch, and a building of 18,000 square foot ranch home, wow. very complicated with a lot of very complicated stonework. So at that time I'm doing, you know, the, now I started excavation. So I'm doing all my own dirt work, all my own concrete work, all my own framing all my uh, stonework, and at that time, I was starting to get in back into millwork, because my dad always did millwork, cabinets and all that. So I started to get back into that. So so now I'm doing the five major components there. Yeah. And then we realized, and this uh, client that I'm talking about has is, is remained a client, and a, he's become one of my best friends. Hmm. He started saying, God, David, look at the efficiency. You're doing all these yourself, and we're not having to bring all these other people in. So I sort of go, okay, this makes a difference for, yeah. for rural work. And at that time, probably it was 90, it, that, it, that project took us three and a half years to do. Wow. And I'm going, there's, in, we're out in the middle of nowhere in the brutal sun. And that's when I started to think, there's gotta be another way to do this so we don't have to bring it. And I was mainly thinking about stone because we, we were doing a lot of complicated stone work. So that's when I started thinking about building a facility to just cut my stone. And then the whole thing just started to, to turn into, why can't we do the whole thing? Mm -hmm. in so a, in how a was the stone department. being cut prior to that? 
We were cutting it on site, bringing in the material on site, and I had found these hydraulic chainsaws, diamond chainsaws, and we were laying everything out there and cutting it with chainsaws and wow. and and, and, uh, and tooling it, meaning fashioning it to the to the texture that we were going to do to install it, and so it was all there. And I, I bought tents, and we were underneath tents, and. 175 people a day, and, and uh, it, it became a big production. So that's really when I started saying, this is good, we're doing it great, but it could be better. Yeah. And my whole thing, and I think you may have even heard me say this, Christoph, is I always ask a lot of questions, and I'll ask questions on why are you doing it that way? The plumber, the electrician, even us. And the main reason is that's the way I was taught. There's not a technical reason. There's, you know, why do we still bury our pipes and con- our water pipes and concrete? Mm-hmm. You know, why are we doing that? Why are we using copper and not PEX? And there's the the master plumber will say, well, that's the way I've always done it. That's why it was taught. So there's really not a technical reason. So I'm going or an engineering reason. So I started going, okay, well then that's silly. Let's do it this way. Yeah, there you go. That's the crux of the matter right there. Is that there's an appreciation for tradition, right? It's important to a to appreciate and know where you came from, but it can go too far, and things things do do evolve. Technologies change, so you learn by asking questions. You're always like, why? So that that could be one key always. takeaway for the audience is right. always ask why. Always asking why. Way. And I promote that with everyone here. I say, come to work for me. I love what you do, but come in and work with me. Give me an opportunity to show you what we do. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but once you can function in my environment and you come to me and say, Day, and I see that you are doing the, the quality of work that we're known for, then you can suggest something because I'm always into that. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you think is different. Should I turn it this way? Should I turn it that way? And if I do, it can be more efficient. Yeah. So, so I give everyone here the opportunity to comment on what we're doing and there's been a lot of really good ideas yeah but first like what you're saying tradition we'll learn how it was done and why it was done that way then if you want to change it or you have another idea that you can buy into then we change it Mm -hmm. so we are very traditional here on when you look at something that we do our panelized in our framing it looks like a framed house, only it's done totally different, right? It's right. not like we're going to be talking. Oh, it's not like, oh my God, you know, what are they doing? They're 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 crazy. Yeah. So but there's also it's like your personality somehow is coming out because in the construction trades, my observation is that there's a certain amount of grit, a certain amount of toughness that needs to be there just to get the work done. I mean, it takes a lot of exertion, a lot of discipline, and yet somehow still holding that exertion and discipline. You manage to have the humility to ask why and to be willing to hear that your past practices could be better, right? So, which is another way of saying, I might have been doing things wrong, or mm-hmm. I might have been doing things in a way that could have been better. And some people, in my opinion, don't want to admit that. They don't want to admit that they could have been doing things differently for a long time. So somehow you managed to make that change. Oh, without a doubt. Especially, you know, and I'll say this, the younger generation, it's, 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 people say, you know, the expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's not exactly true. It's the young guys that you have a hard time because of their egos and all that. Once you get beyond that and they really understand. Interesting. That, that it, yeah, it is. It, it, someone of a little bit more maturity and understands it, he's quicker to have an intelligent conversation on why or why not to do it. Mm-hmm. Where, the, where the young guy that knows everything comes in, oh, this is where, I, and, and those are the ones I struggle with more. Yeah, yeah, there's a classic story about, I think it was Joseph Campbell or somebody goes to a prep school, a finishing school in, in England, and he's sitting with the headmaster and they're having tea and he's telling the headmaster, oh yeah, I was top of the debate class and I was the leader of the rowing team and oh, I'm gonna be so awesome here. I think it was grad school or something like that. And the headmaster's like, oh, interesting. And uh, puts out a saucer and a teacup and starts to pour the tea. And then he just keeps pouring and pouring and overflows the cup and overflows the saucer. And Joseph Campbell's like, hey, what are you doing? You know, and he says, I'm illustrating a point. I'm here, you're here to learn. And if you come to me completely full 
of your own ideas, there's no room for me to teach you anything. So, you know, you always need to keep a place in your mind, room to grow, room to learn, room to rethink. Yeah, so that somehow you manage to have that characteristic. And that's true. It is very true. Yeah. I don't know everything. I am, I am uh, confident on what we do, very confident on what we do, but there's always room for improvement. Yeah. And if you get to that point where you don't think there is, then, then you're not confident. In yourself, well, yeah. I pointed that out to several people who are this, interesting. Yeah, who true are this, confidence yeah. appears weak. Exactly. <laughs> when they're that kind of person, they're the ones who are the least confident. Yeah, and and so folding into that, right? So building science podcast, right? So building science is fundamentally about the the laws of physics, and you know our podcast is extending it to the laws of human psychology or something. But the laws of physics apply to buildings. I should have finished that. But energy code, energy code has changed things radically in terms of the, the building physics. And you know, like if, if there was one sort of fun, one fundamental watershed moment, it was roughly in like 2006 when energy code started really to change. 2006, 9, 12, 15. We've had a lot of changes in the way buildings operate. And a lot of people with decades of experience kind of wanted to be like an ostrich. Just somehow didn't adapt, didn't want to admit like, hey, this is a completely different world here, right? I'm, I'm supposed to use less energy. We're not just supposed to. The building's going to be more airtight. My window's going to let in less heat. That means my air conditioner's going to... My insulation's going to be better. Both of those things mean my air conditioner's going to run less. What does that mean for moisture, right? So you've managed to adapt. So I'm sitting here in this office of yours looking at basically art on the wall of... This, this, well, why don't you tell us briefly, what are we looking at here, this thing you built in, in, uh, in Italy? Well, we have three photos of a project we did in, in Venice, Italy. It's a stone structure that's in, in pure compression. Hmm. It's at the 2016 Biennale, which was a very prestigious thing to get invited to. It sits in the 11th century building. It's like an art exhibit? It's, uh, the Biennale is one year architecture, engineering, the next year art. Hmm. So we were in the architecture, engineering. So Biennale means biannual. Ah. It was a great collaboration. We worked with MIT, ETH Zurich, and, and uh, Cambridge. Yeah, it's uh, beautiful. It's, it's a one of a kind, which was a great opportunity. And that's where our skill set in stone, we were asked to do the work because of our exactness with uh, our stone and also the, the technology that I had brought into our company to help do this. So we've got, uh, at, at the time and still is, one of the uh, most precise uh, five-axis uh, CNC's in the world that we bought in Milan, Italy. So that allowed us to create this shape. That's beautiful. It's a vault. In a vault, not like a bank vault. It's vaulting, meaning it's it's got five separate arches in it, and it's uh, it's uh, quite a large structure. And it's held up by compression. It's completely compression. Yeah. So we'll link to this in the show notes. But where I was going was beauty, right? This is a beautiful structure, and it's clear that you have an artistic side. I mean, I've seen that in so many ways, and your art doesn't just express itself uh, in, in the visual arts. It's also, you mentioned technology. There's mm -hmm. tremendous technology there. So it's this blending of art and technology. But really underlying it is what I've experienced talking to you is you take care of your clients, take care of your homeowners. Um, meaning, I'm going to give you a beautiful home that's also technologically sophisticated and also delivered fairly quickly, right? So this is a, it's a beautiful triad, right? So it's beautiful, it's... Um, it's got building science principles underlying it. And then you started to do something that's near and dear to us on this podcast is you thought about the process of delivering the buildings. And you have the Dario system. Is that right? Am I describing it That's right? correct. So could you tell us a little about that? This, this rethinking the process, right? Right. Four years ago is what I decided to make that next leap that I was talking about earlier. To be able to create the full structure under roof. So we had the opportunity to build seven guest houses in rural central Texas. And I uh, told the client, asked the client, 
I'd like to do them this way. And at that time, he says, I don't care how you do them. I just need them in five months because I've already have guests booked for those oh non-existent structures. So that's when we started Dario. And they were uh, 800 square feet a piece, seven identical. So that made it quicker for us to do it. And we were able to design it, fabricate it, install it, including all the infrastructure in five months. And that's when I said, that's, that's it. That's, this is, this is going to work. We were, we were drying in, uh, uh, erecting and dried in one of the casitas a day. One a day? One a day. So how did you do that? Well, the, the panelized system, we were able to take them out and it was uh, seven walls, small. It was the four outside walls and then a bathroom and one petition. It was a, a high-end ranch to go visit, so they were well done. So that's kind of what started it, and I was asked by someone. At that time, it didn't have a name. It was Escobedo Construction. Well, let's think of a name, and I was being asked by a lot of people, and, you know, let's do something creative, let's do this, let's do that. And then someone said, well, well what's inspired you to do what you do in general, like what we're talking mm -hmm. today? And I'm driving, and I can't think of what one thing inspired me to do all of this. And I was driving to work one day, and that kept going through my head. And I said, well, the person who inspired me was my father. Dario was my father's name. Hmm. So that's where the Dario Panelized System came from. Since then, we have several, uh, we're at about 30 structures on the ground now from this 800 square feet all the way up to, you know, 10,000 square feet. Very complicated architecture. Not what we're after in, in, in general, but it's what our clients are wanting. And again, that time factor is what gets into it. It's, you know, the time, the efficiency, how it's built. The, a lot of these are second homes, so they are concerned with energy efficiency. And so that's kind of where we started to play more and more to make this, mm. talking to you, Christoph, how do we make them more airtight? How do we make them more efficient? How do we get better quality air? Mm. So instead of just give me a dwelling that doesn't leak and I'll be fine, so we started promoting all these other things and then we go wow there's an audience out there for people who really care about this yeah so we haven't changed any of the quality level I was asked by the same client in uh, 83 when I built his ranch house the 18,000 square foot in the four years and it was conventionally done right and then I just did another project for him two years ago in a Colorado ranch house and he asked me the question well is this better than my other structure you built for me and that's a hard question to answer because I want you know you want to say yes? I know, I, you know, and I did say yes, but of course I knew. I said, well, here's why, you know, it was because of the, the energy efficiencies and the quality of air, and then he understood the rest of it. He has an engineering background also, so he was a good person to... So I went through all of that with him, and he did understand that. Mm -hmm. And it had been 18 years since the other structure, so he knew technology had changed, you know, instead of, you know, 20... Yeah condensing units sitting outside, you know, things have changed. So we, we could do more efficient ways of heating and cooling and quality of air. Yeah, but I want to go take you back to something you just said that caught my attention. You talked about these complex architectural designs, and then you threw in this line, you said that's, that's not what we're after, that's not what we're really after. What do you mean by that? Well, where I want to take Dario is to, to make it where I can't solve the housing, I'm not after solving the housing plight in America, right? But, but, oh, come on, David. But, but, uh, but uh, we, we're actually designing now a product, and right now it's many, you know, you have the tiny homes and all that. I came up with it, it may not be coined this, but it's going to be the, 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 the mini casa. I'm looking for something in the thousand square foot-ish to maybe 1,200 that we can build in a lot more affordable sense that will be very architecturally pleasant to look at, have a lot of really cool interior functionality. So I'm trying, that's when we are already in the process of, of that design. And that's really where I want to go with this. Of course, if a client comes up and says, David, will you build me another 18,000 square foot ranch? 
probably the answer would be yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not saying we're going to go away from that because that's where our company was built. But yeah. I do want to take that into this other level, other level of, uh, and it's not tiny homes. I want to say that again. There's a lot of people doing that. Mm-hmm. This will be a, a a house, whether it's your first home or you're a single professional that wants something, you know, two bedroomish, or you don't. You kind of like I do. You don't have to have this huge house. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, and that's what I do for a living. But I don't live in a huge house, and that's preference because I don't think you need to be there. It's, 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 it's a waste in a lot of ways. Wow, that was bold to say. Yeah. So you know, you're rethinking the process again, <laughs> and rethinking uh, housing generally, right? So one of the things that we talk about on the podcast, and we talk about at Positive Energy, is whether people want to relate to it like this or not, a home is a technology. I mean, it might not be a very sophisticated technology, but it's a technology, and in our opinion, it's a technology that should be about human thriving. And humans need beauty. I was glad to hear you just say that. They need clean, healthy air. Uh, they want their asset to not rot away. They want it to be low maintenance. So it's this interesting thing where we're sitting here at this table, and I, have a, I happen to have an iPhone, very fancy technology I carry in my pocket, but my home, I actually live in a 1919 bungalow. Um, we've restored it, but flat out 100-year-old technology. Well, no, it's older than 100-year-old technology because you know it was built 100 years ago. So I'm totally with you, David. Housing is due for a major rethinking and not just the high-end custom homes. But let's go back to the Dario process. I know a little bit about it, and I want to highlight it here for, for listeners. So you start with a design, like electronic design package. Do you work with multiple architects? Do you do your own architecture? I really don't know that. We, uh, we work with multiple architects, but we do do our own designs, like the mini casas will be our own design. Because that will help us, because we have to be careful here, too. Because architects give us bring us work, but they're designing in in the in the uh, typical sense of design, mm-hmm. the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're not using electronics or, or, or computer software to design it, but they're not thinking about what we think about efficiencies. And a, a, an example: instead of making a wall, you know, 16 foot one and a half <laughs> why can't you make it 16 foot because we're talking about modules of plywood and right. of, of, of materials so our process is we're always thinking about that efficiency mm-hmm. to to material uh, efficiency yeah the, the, the material efficiencies in the whole the whole understanding you know uh i make the statement that's, that nothing has been brought to us that we haven't been able to turn into a panelized system and it's not my call and you've to got some complicated some stuff. Com- and it's not my call to tell them you shouldn't do that. If you hire me, I'm I'm passionate on what I do and I will give you 100% of my passion. Mm-hmm. And it's not for me to if you ask me, I may comment, you know, but if this is what you want, this 18,000 square foot Taj Mahal to yourself, I'll build it for you. <laughs> so it's, ultimately you have an electronic design and somewhat briefly, how does it come to be a home through you, through your process? Well, with, with, with the process, it's a little, everyone says, let's sit down with the team. And you know, with the engineer, the architect, the interior designing, the lighting designer, the contractor, everybody. And then they all adjourn from that meeting and they all go different ways. Mm-hmm. And been there. <laughs> right, so what we do is in-house, we design the whole structure with the architect or client input. The modeling of this is precise and where the studs go, you know, we, we put the blocking in for the cabinetry, the the toilet paper dispenser, everything is thought out as 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 much as it can be. All of the mechanical, as you know, yeah, we, we on how the ducts work in the typical construction, someone frames it and then the mechanical contractor comes in and says I got to rip all that out and I got to move that and then and it's this and it's this chaos yeah and usually it doesn't come out the way it was originally intended to be right so we work through all those issues also so we give our AC chases and and don't put beams or if their structural beam has to be there then work. the mechanical engineer can realize how to work around that duct to get it to a different place 
Yeah. So that is the the most important thing of what we do is that upfront work. And typically that's the stuff that always gets slips through the cracks. Yeah. It's a lot. So we do all yeah. of the upfront work and then it goes into production. And what does that mean when it goes into production? Well, well we it goes from the computer now to a our uh, our floor which is our fabricators who start to put it together, which means we cut the, we use uh, light gauge framing. We, I'm, I'm not using wood for the most part. It's all light gauge framing. And they start to cut it and, and frame it. Like if you've seen a house being framed conventionally, you know, they drop a bunch of wood in the mud and the guy, the carpenters cut the bands, lay it out, and then guys start to nail it together and. Ten guys go over and stand the wall up. Mm-hmm. We're we're spot welding it together in a controlled environment on tables, not in the mud. And those panels now, instead of a bunch of guys heave ho, a, a small crane picks it up once it's on site and sets it in place. So it, now all of a sudden those all but all those panels have already been made. And that's where we can cut the time, mm-hmm. the on-site time, in, in as much as in half once we start erecting the structure. So there's infrastructure associated with that, right? So you have this, I'm looking at a fairly large warehouse with overhead cranes. Um, you're gonna load these panels onto trucks. Are they your trucks? Or our truck. We do all of our own trucking, yes. Interesting. And then they get to the site and there's another crane. Is that also your crane? Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. So you've got a lot of infrastructure here invested in this. It, it, all, it goes back to what I said earlier about efficiency. When you're counting on someone, and, and I started doing my own trucking because uh, more than a handful of times we're waiting for a hired truck to show up and he's a day late, or, and we have 10 men in the field standing there. So it's easy to do the math and go, yes, it is an investment, it's a liability, mm. but you start to realize the efficiencies and it doesn't take long to, to with, the, with the, you don't even need a computer, just simple math and say this will pay for itself in two three years and you have control over it besides the payback you have control of your destiny yeah and that's where i am i need to know hmm. that i can get it from here to there and so that project in colorado those were your trucks yes oh my goodness. well that's where the the light bulb went off because the day late was a guy decided to stop in New Mexico and visit his sister. And we were waiting for the panels to show up and they were over a day late. And we had a whole crew standing out there in in sub-zero weather. Oh my goodness. So I started to say, well, how much does it, you know, again, back to the math thing, how much is he's charging me? How about a da 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 da? And the next thing you know, we, we have one truck, two trucks, now we have three semi-trucks, the proper trailers. We designed our own carriages to hold all of the panels and uh, where they can pull up to the job. The crane picks the whole skid up, which may it, it, can, it can hold up to 40,000 pounds of weight, which is the legal shipping, close to the legal shipping, but he can pick that whole skid up, set it on the ground in the truck and leave. So the truck's not waiting to so do panel by panel. So what is the crane? It's a crane truck? No, it's a separate crane. It's a cr- Okay. It's a, it's a, it's, it's erected on site or it's rubber tires. Uh, a, a lot of the different, depending on the weights and the reach, it would be a, a different crane. But it's it's a crane. It's not a on a truck. Okay. Wow. But, so I love that control of your destiny. Right. Yeah. yeah. That is interesting. And not just control of your destiny, but by doing that, you change the schedule. You change the whole process of delivering the building changes by you saying, "I want to centralize control." Interestingly, that's kind of like how nature works, is uh, ecosystems all intertwined, sort of in control of each other, but like one big system, and you're just trying to bring it all in-house. Like, I don't want to disconnect from my ecosystem. I want to own the truck. You how know, many trucks do you have, just out of curiosity? Three tractors. Wow. But we have uh, ten trailers. So that's why I'm saying you can disconnect and go, so that truck's not sitting there. Ah. It pulls up disconnects come and gets another trader or we offload that trader and he comes back so that's the cycle so we can just keep cycling you know if it's 20 trucks for instance that Colorado project was 20 semis I don't have need to have 20 semis because not all of it needs to be there at the same time so he would drop 
a trailer or drop the skid and then come back and get another that's already been loaded and he's is off again. Wow. So it's a cycle. Ideally with no stops in New Mexico. Yeah, no stops. In <laughs> so so the, the other part to add to that is the parts, in, and the Colorado is a good, well, yeah, it's, we'll use Colorado as an example, is that it becomes infectious. They see that we're there and how it's this timely effort. Mm-hmm. Very and, coordinated. And, and then the, the subs that we were hired there go, well, what's going on? I, I do need to be here tomorrow because they will be ready. Instead of, hey, be here tomorrow, and then you they show up and, and the typical contractor's not ready. So when you it, is, <clears throat> it becomes infectious. That whole momentum of the project, all of a sudden you go, everybody's working together because they go, you know, everybody wants something. Well, not everyone, but you want it to go well. And... It, you become part of the group, and all of a sudden, you know, you you walk away and you look back, and I did it. This is awesome. Yeah, and it was awesome. I, mean, yeah. I had the, I had the privilege to go see. Yeah, it. so you know, even our mechanical contractor, which we hired there, his guy said we've never done this this quality of work. Remember the piping, how clean it was, and the labeling and everything, it, and that was cool. infectious. And his guy says we've never done this quality of work. Yeah, I'm still in touch with Fred, by the way. Yeah, he's awesome, alpha mechanic. Yeah. I think that's a, a good place to sort of start to wrap things up is that all this um, talk about uh, process and technology, you can lose the fact that it's people doing this, that it's, it's individual people, that ultimately the hands that do the work have personalities and uh, hearts and minds and you need to take care of them as well. H- how have you managed to do that? <laughs> you know, I get asked that a lot. And yeah, you could say pure luck. I don't know. <laughs> no, it, yeah, I know it's not pure luck, but uh, th- that's a big question, and I'll try to drill down to the what I think the most important thing. When I started doing this, I was physically working myself. Hmm. So I, you know, the old saying, I wouldn't ask you to do it if I wouldn't do it myself. Whatever that is. So I, however that saying goes. So that's true. I pushed. I pulled. I nailed. I did it all and they all knew that I was there shoulder to shoulder working with them and then they all started to see that I was getting we were getting more work better work which which also the byproduct of that is they got we all made more money you know so so you shared the shared the love oh yeah 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 so we did that and I I'll say it I'm a I'm a, I'm a very I can be a task master but I can also I'm pretty level-headed and uh, it's not luck that I have people that have worked for me for 38 years. There's other people that would pay them the same that I'm paying them. There's got to be a different reason, don't you agree? Oh, yeah. I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that people want to be proud of their work. And if you're, if you're really leaning into quality. You got it. That's what I was, that was, was going to answer my own question. It's because, <laughs> it's because they turn around. Like I said, that guy turning around and looks at it and says, wow. And he drives home with pride, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not this, we're not building widgets or any of that. We do a lot of really, we're fortunate to be able to do a lot of really cool stuff. We have very little turnover. We actually have people looking to work here now. Uh, the words, you know, which is what I'd say now. It's always been that way, but they understand that that we are demanding. And we do run it like a business. We, 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 we're not these artists that, you know, fling our ascot over our shoulder and <laughs> smoke a pipe, you know. We start at 7 and we work till we get it done. We have we are committed to schedule. And, and I tell everyone, do you agree that we can make this, we did this really incredible spiral stairway for the... the project and I said I'm running it by you these are my steel fabricators do, do you want to do this so I can get this one out of France it's not a kit spiral glass treads and a polished stainless steel blah 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 and they go no we want to do it and I said okay here's the date and we will get it done if we're here till three o'clock every night we will get it done and they uh, one of my newer guys kind of laughed, and the person who runs my steel shop said, he is not kidding. <laughs> and we got it done, and it's incredibly beautiful. That was a commitment to them. It wasn't, I didn't, you have to, because I, I, I need that help from, like, like we all do. We all need uh, yeah. to work together. I can't do everything myself. 
Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to buy into it, and they did. Yeah, that, that sense of pride and, and meaning and purpose, it's profound. It's profoundly impactful. I mean, I know that it's what motivates us and it's causing us to but have you, a lot of But you see that people. there's so many people that don't have that. It's just... It's a shame, it's yeah. Just, yeah. And that's, that's kind of where we are right now and, and why we're where we are. You know, your commitment to uh, beauty in terms of a beautiful structure, a beautiful environment for the client to be in, and a... A beautiful process, right? So, what I've what I've seen is some projects. I mean, ultimately, it works out. It's beautiful, and it, it came out fine. But oh my gosh, the the false starts and the tearing things out that got built, and the change after change after change. You know, it, it, you can get done with it and still not have a good sense of satisfaction. You know. Well, Christoph, one of the things that I've latched onto in the last eight months, a client that's from out of state used the expression that I don't want just good enough. And if you really think about that, that's a lot what's what's happening, just good enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's as though, you know, we as a, there's that old expression, um, um, you can't judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to houses somehow, it's as though you can judge it by what it looks like. And no, you can't really. You can't see what's happening in the walls, and you can't see whether, frankly, you can't see whether um, people were mistreated in the creation of that home, or, or people were taken advantage of, or you know. So well, this could be a whole other conversation. But <laughs> you just brought up what they don't see, what's in the walls, and that's where I really care. Yeah. You can, like they say, you can put lipstick on a pig, and it's still a pig. Yeah. They don't care what's in the walls. I've fixed several projects in my career, and I'm appalled at what I see once we tear into the walls and why there why there is a problem, and it's just that just good enough attitude, you know. And it'll I can get my check and go on before it blows up or falls down. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's not just what's in the walls. I I did a indoor air quality consultation a few years back, found out that somebody to to damper the supply air flow had wedged like this plastic mesh in the duct and over the years the mesh had accumulated some dust and the dust had started to grow mold so their mechanical system was like a, a mold injection system you know and just happened to see it like I don't always take my flashlight and look up in the registers but because uh, the coil was clean every couldn't figure it out where it was coming from and pull it out like oh who would do that right like size it properly put a balancing damper on it properly but no no i'm just going to wedge this plastic mesh up in it so anyway i'm sure it that's worked a, that's it, it it did change it, the airflow it changed the airflow and then and it got by what he was trying and to they, get he by his, he or she they got their check and went out there on their way Okay, so we're getting to the end of our time here. It's really been a delight. We've covered a lot very seamlessly, very easily, naturally. So I want to leave you with this question. Uh, we have a lot of listeners. Frankly, we've had some listeners talk about changing careers and quitting their jobs, which we don't advocate uh, necessarily. But yeah, what advice would you give to people that also see that there's an unrealized upside in the building industry and, and how could people get involved in industry transformation? Well, part of, part of our story with, with personnel is 16 years ago, I started looking for the, the uh, college graduate to help. So I looked around, specifically architecture, to help me because in the construction industry, granted, you know, these are hard, stiff backs and they're ready, you know, strong backs and I can put it together. And you can't find that person that with the finesse to understand the other side of it. And I'm the one who was doing all of the layout and all those things. So I went to the university and found someone and she came on and was incredibly talented, very hard headed, but incredibly talented. So she wanted to learn to build. And then she was with me for about 12 years. And then, and then I hired another gentleman out of the same university in architecture and so now there's like seven architects, a mechanical oh engineer, 
And a lot of people that they're wanting to learn and they know that now that I've gone into Dario, the, the guys that have been with me the 15 years all embrace that change and are all, you know, see that that's where we need to go. And now we've hired a, a, a two more since the Dario happened. And that's one of the reasons why they came is because they want to understand and know there's change, the changes are coming. Mm-hmm. So you're saying basically people could think about their career transitions in terms of industry transformation by thinking about what's the vision of their firm that they're going to work with. What's the totally goals? Totally, yeah. and and they they have that want. You know, they're they're because it's it is it's it's there. People are reading about it. All people all over the world are trying to find another way to yeah, right. to skin the cat. So it's not like it's I've got this secret. It's just but they see what we do and they want to be part of it. Well said. I think that's a great place to stop. I think it's a great place. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for listening. All right, we're out.